This segment was recorded live on September 30th, 2009. ReachMD XM160 now presents Second Opinion Live with hosts Drs. Matt Bernholtz and Michael Greenberg. Welcome to Second Opinion Live on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg. This program is a little different from others on ReachMD in that we're asking you to participate. So go get your phone now and call us. That's right. Give us a call. This is your chance to join in as we cover topics across the field of medicine, talking to experts you want to hear from. Our public health, infectious disease, and emergency preparedness agencies are ramping up preparations for H1N1. Many of you are seeing cases already, some in greater numbers than others. And maybe you have questions about H1N1 or would like to share your thoughts. Dr. Norman Edelman, Chief Medical Officer for the American Lung Association, will be our guest today. He'll join us in a bit. Our number is 888-MD1-REACH. That's 888-631-7322. Call us now. We have a bunch of great topics lined up today. First, a new twist on the health reform bills. If you ever thought you could turn a 1,000 pages of legalese into easy listening, then you should know that someone just beat you to it. Health reform for the morning drive. We'll have more on this coming up. And we'll also visit the ReachMD Forum to examine the case of a Chicago researcher who died after apparently coming into contact with the form of plague. It's likely not a public health threat at all, but it certainly is an eye-opening case. Spend a few minutes with us here. Our number again, 888-MD1-REACH. But first, our regular feature... ReachMD's That's News to Me, reviewing curious news headlines from the world of medicine. Books on tape, and in recent years, audiobooks, are a common way for us to, quote-unquote, read a book on the go. But, Michael, let me ask you, would you listen to the health reform bill on tape? You are kidding, Matt. I'm it absolutely is a not big <laughs> no. I can't believe somebody would actually do this. Somebody did. They need a real job. <laughs> well, this is their real job. There are about 60 voice actors led by Diane uh, Havens. They volunteered to record the proposed health care bill, H.R. 3200. It's more than 1,000 pages long, Michael. And uh, if I could just tell you, this masterpiece it translates into 24 hours of taped goodness. Well, Matt, I cannot imagine listening to this for 24 seconds, let alone 24 <laughs> hours. Well, I think I see that as a challenge, personally. So I'm thinking, I'm not a voice actor, you're not a voice actor, but we should put it to the test. We should see if we can make this interesting. Let's give it all the fixings, all the trimmings. Okay. Let's see if we can make it good. Can we get some theme music on here? I think that'd be, that'd be the best way to get this going. Some, oh, there we go. Right. We've got some intense theme music. I'm liking this. This is an excerpt from page 723 for those of you who have memorized the text. I'm going to read one sentence. Here we go. The requirements pursuant to the amendments made by subsections A and B shall apply in the case of physicians making certifications for home health services under Title 19 or 21 of the Social Security Act in the same manner and to the same extent as such requirements apply in the case of physicians making such certifications under Title 18 of such act. I want to be a congressman. I want to deal with this. I'm so enrolled. Did you feel a chill go down your spine? I I want to listen to this. This is awesome. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, we could play this on the air, but it would take all day. And we just played it for 24 hours. We could just go home and and, and let this thing go all day long. True. I mean, I've got a thousand more pages that we could draw from if we want to just uh, take care of this for the show. (laughs) That was totally just a random paragraph. It was a random paragraph. In fact, it was a random sentence. It was one sentence, Michael. Uh, it was thrilling. Can you imagine? It was the best thing I've heard on this show, Matt. We need to read part of it every week for a half an hour. 
I'm in favor. That's all we'll do. Just read that. <laughs> Forget these stories. People, people will really love it. Now, I, I think that this is really interesting, but I, I, I mean, what's the point? If, if you listen to this for 24 hours, uh-huh. how could this possibly help anybody understand what's going on? For, well, some people are audio learners, you could say, but I have to agree with you on this one. This is painful. I can't it's even pick up the bill. It's so heavy. Nevertheless, <laughs> listen to it. You know, and it's like listening to it isn't going to make a it change. It would completely fill up your iPod, that's for sure. Completely fill it up. Well, you probably have about six gigs worth of information just to get that well i i want every congressman and senator to have to listen to this every day i want and put it fast forward you know put it in fast motion just listen to it really really fast so i want them in touch with this this is the most awesome thing i ever heard now i'm totally enrolled i love that they did it everybody log on and get ready for a thrill log on to the website we've talked previously about healthcare workers getting their flu shots so we thought we'd turn it into our poll question By some estimates, 70% of docs and nurses get vaccinated annually. Yes, I got mine already. Now, some might say that's a decent number, but others wonder why we can't push that number higher. Today on this week's ReachMD poll, we ask, what are your vaccination plans for this flu season? Log on to ReachMD.com, find our poll, and cast your ballot to see what your peers think. And and there are are a few choices here. Are you getting just seasonally, just H1N1, both, or neither? For years, the CDC strongly recommends that all healthcare workers get the flu shot. Estimates vary, but somewhere between 30 to 50% actually do get the vaccine. It's probably higher among stocks. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely heard that. And there are a few health systems that are doing this, in fact, making it mandatory. We've all heard about New York being uh, the first state to make this mandatory at all hospitals. And actually, there's recently been um, several hundred healthcare workers in New York which, who rallied against the mandate. They were arguing that getting a better vaccine or getting this vaccine that they don't think has uh, been appropriately tested should be a condition for keeping their job. And, and you know what, Matt? I can kind of see their point. I can kind of agree with it. I don't want to be forced to get a vaccination. There are potential side effects to it. Um, and I don't think we should force anybody globally to have to get an injection as long as it, there, are, there are some potential side effects like Guillain-Barre. True, true. Um, although the, the studies that have been out indicate that it seems to be very safe. But you're right, it's premature. But they're, they're, they're already kind of unrolling it. We have to, we have to uh, take in mind that essentially this is a pandemic. Every state except Vermont, and you know they're coming up, uh, they're going to be in that list soon. They've already got a flu outbreak. So, <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to call this a pandemic already. It's definitely having its toll. And they've already got injectable doses that are out now. Um, as of uh, the last couple of days. And there are fun ways to take your flu vaccine. Didn't, didn't you know about pig and the poke? <laughs> you know, I did hear Tell about pig about and the poke. Tell us about that. <laughs> as far as I know, this was a, uh, uh, this is one of our colleagues came back from Michigan. They're at a, a restaurant, I believe it's called the pig and poke, if I'm not mistaken. And as part of uh, uh, getting a bunch of um, barbecued pork, they could get a flu shot. So we make you fat and get your flu shot. Creative. Very, Very creative. creative. <laughs> well, what's your reaction? Share your thoughts with us on the website, ReachMD.com, where you can vote on the ReachMD poll and get yourself some ribs and your flu shot at the same time if you want. I think that's a great idea. All right. On to the ReachMD forum, Matt, and to look at the surprising death of a Chicago researcher who died apparently after being exposed to a typically punchless form of plague bacteria. It's a story that has proven to be fodder for sensational media headlines, but it does serve as an important reminder about lab safety. So the researcher who was based out of the University of Chicago was 
apparently working with a weakened strain of Yersinia pestis towards creating a better vaccine for plague. He developed intense flu-like symptoms on September 13, and uh, from the Associated Press uh, report, they, he, he died 12 hours later. The autopsy report uh, indicated that there was no obvious cause of death except the presence of the bacteria strain, and it's thought that he may have had an underlying condition that made him vulnerable to the infection. Well, I, I think what's important here is that, I mean, this... this got everywhere in the media. I read about it. I heard about it. And I think it's really important that we get all the investigative facts before we put all these things out to the public. Um, plague scares people. The word scares me. <laughs> and <laughs> even, even if it's like a punchless form of it, I'm, I'm kind of you know, wary about this. Yeah, no, so it's still plague. It's still plague. Um, I think we need to know all the facts about this before we put it out to the public. Because P, even though that there were, it's unlikely to spread, mm-hmm. officials did hand out antibiotics to about 100 people who had been in contact with him. Yeah. So then they're taking it seriously, obviously. 100 people they quarantined, essentially. Yeah, and, and it's kind of ironic that this researcher was studying the genetic components of the bacteria. And those who knew him say that we owe it to him to find out what, what we might about him, what might have caused this in him, mm-hmm. because it's kind of a bizarre story. Do you think it was media overkill ultimately, or do you think that this was uh, I think it's always media overkill. Of. I think words scare people, and you have to be very, very careful. I remember as a, a resident using the, you know, the word meningitis with somebody, where to me it was an easily treatable bacterial disease, but the grandmother of the family just started crying and sobbing because to her the word meningitis meant death. We have to be careful what words we put out there because it affects people. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in this case. I mean, they're trying to look at what was it about him that made him vulnerable to the infection if he was around it and other people were and they didn't get infected. And they're thinking that there are other Yersinia strains linked to GI disorders that are known to prey on people with abnormalities in iron metabolism. I, I, I don't know. It might be a bit of a stretch, but they're thinking maybe that's what was going on with him and caused him to develop this intense flu-like uh, illness and then die just died 12 hours later, very well, quick. It also shows you that in a laboratory setting, we have to be very, very careful with our workers, and we have to make sure that they're, they're protected uh, so that this doesn't happen again. But I think this story is going to unfold more. I hope we can get the facts um, and really see what went on here because uh, it, I'm interested in it, definitely. And uh, yeah, You and me both. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Second Opinion Live on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, alongside Dr. Michael Greenberg. And our number here is 888-MD1-REACH. That's 888-631-7322. That's MD1-REACH is the number on ReachMDXM160. If you've got something on your mind, give us a call. All right. We are moving closer to the height of a severely challenging flu season, with H1N1 and the seasonal flu both a part of the discussion. Uh, Yes, we've talked about this before on the show. According to the CDC, more than 36,000 people die annually from seasonal flu-related causes. We don't know exactly how serious H1N1 will be, but we do know that it's here. That many more people could get sick, and we have to be prepared to deal with it. Today, we welcome your phone calls and questions as we bring in Dr. Norman Edelman. Edelman. He's the chief medical officer for the American Lung Association and a professor of preventative and internal medicine at the State University of New York, or SUNY, at Stony Brook. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Edelman. My pleasure. Hi, Dr. Edelman. Listen, let me ask you the first question because this is really a hot topic. Can you give us a state of the union on, or, or, or the flu-nion uh, oh. <laughs> on what's happening with the flu, the extent and spread and patterns of the disease? Well, what we're seeing are early signs of the H1N1 strain. So it's present in many states. Um, it appeared in the southern states before the northern states. Some people thought that was due to climate, but it's probably due to the fact that for the most part in the southern states, uh, children go back to school earlier than in the northern states. 
So H1N1 is picking up steam. Um, there is absolutely no evidence that it's gaining in virulence compared to the viruses around the springtime. That is, almost everybody who contracts it contracts a mild illness. But, of course, you know, just like seasonal flu, which we're also worried about, um, you know, if it affects vulnerable people, the effects can be serious and even including death. Let's talk about the most vulnerable people. Who is most at risk for each type of influenza? Well, the CDC is focusing on younger people for H1N1, especially pregnant women. Uh, in the past, for seasonal flu, uh, they have focused on people with underlying diseases, uh, such as asthma. That's one of the big interests of the American Lung Association. And certainly if people with asthma get the flu, that's a very serious problem. Other chronic diseases. And, of course, people over the age of 55 or 65, depending on how you look at it. Now, this age issue is, is, is kind of tricky because uh, the H1N1 actually does cause more difficulty in older people. The reason the Centers for Disease Control is not... Uh, pushing uh, vaccinations for those people immediately is they have a certain level of immunity. They appear to have a certain level of immunity. It's important to point out that we're just talking about H1N1. With regard to the seasonal flu, the um, basic uh, groups that the CDC want to get uh, vaccinated include 80% of the population, Elderly people, people with chronic illnesses, children over six months through 18 years old, uh, and all the people who come into contact with them, essentially 80% of our population, should be getting vaccinated with the seasonal flu now. Okay, what are your thoughts on the vaccine safety and efficacy on both of the vaccines? You know, I heard this bizarre thing. I came to work and my office manager said that he heard on the radio, that this is what the media is putting out there, that if you have the seasonal flu vaccine, you're more likely to to catch H1N1. And I mean, he heard this on the radio. This is like what the media is putting out there. Well, you know, we have a free press. Almost anybody can say anything on the radio. Well, we do. Yes, we do, yes. (laughs) And, you know, lots of things appear on the radio that have absolutely no basis in fact. I am totally unaware of that as being a fact. There are lots of misconceptions out there. Um, Well, how about the vaccine safety from your point of view? Well, I mean, we, we, we can't give guarantees. All we can do is look at past history. The past safety history of the seasonal flu is extraordinary. We've done it year after year after year with essentially no complications. Uh, The H1N1 is just another strain of the flu virus. The vaccine is prepared in exactly the same way that the vaccine is prepared for the seasonal flu inoculation. So there's every reason to believe it'll be just as safe but there's, you know, there's, since we don't have a huge experience, there's no way we can provide guarantees. Right. It kind of sounds like what happens with MRSA. My patients come with MRSA infections, and they think it's something really different when it's really just uh, resistant bacteria, but it's got its own personality. Uh, right. But, you know, on the flip side, this is under a much faster time scale, is it not, as far as the production and distribution goes? Um Compared to seasonal well, well, if we're talking about seasonal flu, the production timeline was pretty much the way it was in previous years. The only thing that the manufacturers did is speed up the distribution by about a month, and that's why it's available now 
the end of September rather than than the end of October. H1N1, the production was speeded up. But, uh, you know, so far the Centers for Disease Control, I think, have done a superb job in every respect. And I think we can trust them to pay a lot of attention to the safety issue. Okay. I, I understand the first uh, truckloads of H1N1 went out today. I read it in the New York Times. Um, are we going to have a vaccine shortage? Or are we going to have enough of it when everybody wants it? Ah, uh, well, that's two separate questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, there will be enough eventually. Whether or not uh, there will be enough of the H1N1 to vaccinate everybody who wants it uh, in the next month or so is, is not clear to me. Uh, you know, the answer is probably no. There will definitely be enough of the seasonal flu vaccine. And it's important to point out that the seasonal flu comes to communities throughout the winter, you know, in, in January and February, and it only takes two weeks for the vaccinations that take effect. So the urgency for seasonal flu is such that it, people should get it uh, not only now because it's available now, but throughout the winter as long as flu has not yet peaked in, in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, we've heard, um, we've read a little bit, especially from the CDC, they said that in some areas the uh, the incidence of H1N1 is actually trending down. I mean, do you think that's just a calm before the storm, so to speak? Oh, I I have I can't answer that question. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a new bug. It, mostly, it's like the seasonal flu, but it's got a few peculiarities. It, it, I I could couldn't not have an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about other globally circulated viruses like uh, H3? Do you think that they are um, as likely, less likely, or more likely than um, any other year to make an introduction? Uh, to the U.S.? Um, I have not heard of a threat from the other global viruses. Things have been pretty quiet in the avian flu area. Things have been pretty quiet in the SARS flu area. You know, these viruses are very tricky little beasts, even though they're, they're very simple. You know, they know how to exchange genetic material and mutate, and they hide. Sometimes they hide for, for several seasons. Sometimes they hide for years, and they pop out again. Hmm. I don't know of any way to predict it, but I don't know of any evidence globally that there's something else brewing. Well, I think that's important because, you know, the media plays so much uh, value on this. And, and as doctors, I'm asked all the time to predict what's going to happen with the flu. And if you don't know, then I'm glad that I don't know. And we need to tell patients this. Let me, let me ask you a question um, on a little bit different tangent. Uh, what are your thoughts on mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers? We were talking about that earlier in the show. There's a number of hospitals requiring every healthcare worker to receive a vaccination. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I hope the staff at my hospital aren't listening, but but I agree with mandatory vaccination. I, I think it's unconscionable for for healthcare workers to, to run the risk of transmitting a potentially fatal disease to immunocompromised or, or otherwise seriously ill people. And of course, the other side of that is if you don't feel good, even healthcare workers stay home. We doctors are notorious for going to the office, at least I do, when I don't, I have to have a 106 fever or my leg falling off before I don't go. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's because you're committed and dedicated to what you do. We have to remember a huge number of healthcare workers, you know, such as the, the home care workers, uh, are paid hourly rates. If they don't show up, they don't get paid. So that, that's another, uh, motive for them to go to work, they really should be vaccinated. 
Well, one thing we started doing in our office, too, I don't know how you feel about this, is I've stopped shaking hands with patients, and we have bottles of uh, these alcohol uh, cleansers all over the place, Purell type of things, all over the office. Do you think that those measures really help? Uh, Yeah. You know, the flu is transmitted uh, uh, on hands. You know, I think uh, minimizing hand-to-hand contact uh, is useful, absolutely. I've got everyone in my community stopping shaking hands. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's okay. Perhaps we can... Maybe they're hugging instead, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but. well, perhaps we ought to adopt some oriental practices and bow to each other. Uh, that would be a nice way to show respect without contact. I've been doing that for years, so it's worked for me. out. That's why I'm not sick so far. But what is, what is a good amount of time if somebody in the health uh, profession does become sick and it turns out to be flu? Should they be 24 hours without symptoms before they even think of returning back to work? Yeah, I mean, that's the current recommendation. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a tricky point. Some people think that you might actually be uh, transmitting the virus a little longer than that. But the, the CDC is currently recommending... 24 hours, symptom-free, and that includes fever, of course. Okay. Um, what are so, how should we best support patients coping with mild to moderate symptoms? How do we, how do, we do this? Do we keep them home? or? Yes, if at all. It, I, I think people with flu symptoms, and, you know, if there's a lot of it, we certainly won't be able to test uh, for which virus it is, and, and it doesn't really matter. People with flu symptoms uh, certainly should stay home. They should stay away from vulnerable people. Don't go visit grandma if you've got the flu. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's H1N1 or the seasonal flu. Um, and uh, stay home, stay away from other people, and take care of yourself. Now, if they're really sick, you know, high fever, symptoms for several days, or in a high-risk category, then they ought to call you. They ought to call their physician and ask whether uh, treatment to ameliorate uh, the effect of the flu is necessary. And that, that's a physician's decision. And what treatments are you pushing as the most effective? Well, Tam- we're not Tamiflu? pushing anything, but, well, but okay. the treatment that's used mostly is Tamiflu. Okay. Another question is, you know, there's so much misinformation about, like, the, the fact that my office manager came in and told me that. What's, what's the best source for physicians to tune into or, or a website to log on to to get really accurate up-to-the-minute information, or where can we send our patients? Uh, I would, uh, the answer is the same for both. It's uh, flu.gov, uh, and then there's a branch direction for the general public, and there's a branch direction for healthcare providers. It is, it is kept up to date and is quite detailed. Well, speaking of uh, some of these resources, the CDC recently gave an update that about a third of reported fatal cases of H1N1 seem to have co-infections of strep pneumo, which they think likely contributed to their death. Uh, do you think that's unusually high as a percentage compared to fatal cases of seasonal influenza, or is that, or is that kind of on par? Yeah, no, I think fatal cases of influenza frequently uh, have coexisting bacterial pneumonias. And that frequently is is uh, how this relatively mild illness gets severe. It's interesting that one group just reviewed the autopsy slides of people who died in the 1918 uh, so-called Spanish flu epidemic that killed so many millions of people. And they looked at microscope slides, and they came to the same conclusion. They came to the conclusion that the majority of people who died had a bacterial co-infection 
So that's a, a pretty uh, well-proven uh, association. I see. We're actually seeing a lot of associations these days. I don't know if you're uh, going to be able to comment on this, but there was a recent Lancet study that suggested that the flu may trigger heart attacks in heart patients, and up to half of the uh, the fatal cases that they looked at, which were about 40 cases, they were due to heart disease uh, when they looked at the cause of death. I mean, I just find that interesting that there are a number of connections being made here. There are. I saw that article. Um, it's uh, It's an observation. You know, just because things are correlated doesn't mean there's a cause-and-effect relationship, but it, it's certainly something to think about and worry about. And again, it emphasizes that the people most likely to be seriously affected or to die are people who have underlying disease, such as heart disease, lung disease, uh, immune problems. That makes sense to me, Matt, even as a dermatologist. But we got always, always have to remember post hoc ergo propter hoc. Two things together may not be related, but it does make sense. That's a good point. Very good point. Is there anything else you want to tell us um, at the end of the interview here? We, we, we certainly enjoy having you here. Anything you want to tell doctors in practice about the flu? And uh, leave a message with us from the American Lung Association. Well, the American Lung Association wants everybody to know this is going to be a difficult, complicated flu season. Uh, we don't know how severe it'll be. The best way to protect your patients, yourself, against the flu is with immunization. And this year, it looks like we're going to need two different vaccines. looks like we're going to need the seasonal flu vaccine, which is widely available now. And it looks like we're going to need the H1N1 vaccine for those designated populations as the CDC rolls it out. Doctors should know that it's perfectly okay to give both vaccines at the same visit. Just use different arms. You don't have to have people come back uh, for one or the other if you have both available and your patient is in the high-risk category. And one last question. When, because this, this is always debated, how, can you start giving the regular flu shots now, the seasonal flu shots? We have them in the office. Is it too early? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, the, See, my wife says it is, but you, well, she's no, going to listen to you. The, the immunity, immunity should last at least nine months, and that should take you through the season. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, Dr. Norman Edelman is the chief medical officer for the American Lung Association and a professor at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Edelman. And I am, hopefully we can have you back as the season progresses and you can give us more information because we need it. My pleasure. I hope you don't need it. I hope we have a mild season. Thank you. Well, there it is. Get your flu shot. Now, don't listen to my wife. Listen to Dr. Edelman. <laughs> Do we ever? <laughs> I, I listen to her all the time. I mean, she's... She, she's I don't want to put you in hot water now. <laughs> no, it's okay. Jerry, if you're out there listening, see, I was right. Okay, well, what do you think about this? Well, I think it was a, definitely a good discussion. He's, um, he's, he's raised some good points about... Um, I, I really like the fact that he was very much siding on the side of mandatory vaccinations, that healthcare professionals really should be on the front lines of this. We should be the ones who get vaccinated. Well, I think it's also very important. I mean, we bring up the flu every couple of weeks and we talk about it, but it's really a hot topic. I mean, this is something that is coming and we really need to be prepared for it. How to take care of our patients, stay home, wash your hands, all those other things that, that we really don't think about. We can't treat it as a joke. I mean, you know, the old idea of swine flu and using that name and all the jokes went around it. It's not a joke if people really get majorly sick. Yeah, agreed. Okay, everybody listening, music lovers, turn up the volume, pump it up. We got a special treat for you, an end of show treat. Love it or hate it, it's an award winner. The topic, you guessed it, H1N1. So let's play the tape, boys. 
Intervention, I bring prevention. Doctor Clark, yeah, I come to make your head numb. Health hot, lesson one to stop the bedlam. If you think you infected, seek attention. If you haven't, stay at home so you don't spread none. Use tissues when you sneeze, cause you can spread some. Cause coughed up germs is where it spreads from. I'm recommending washing hands for protection for and back real thorough while you count 20 seconds. And sanitizer, I advise you get it. Why? It makes germs die when you rub and let it dry. Don't touch your eyes, your mouth, your nose, your face. That's how you get infected, so you better play it safe. Long term outcome, we'll see the income. Never sick again from the H1N1. We are a hotbed of culture here on ReachMD, but I wonder what the Rolling Stones would have done with it. Tell us what this was, Matt. <laughs> Let me tell you, this was a joint contest between the Health and Human Services Department and the Department of Education. The goal was to launch a public service advertising campaign to remind Americans of ways to stay healthy during this flu season. So there were about 240 videos, probably more than that, that were submitted by the August deadline. They are posted on YouTube. I would have done one had I known. Of course you would have, and you probably would have been the winner. And the uh, winner was chosen after two weeks of voting by the public, mind you, by the public. And the winner was Dr. John Clark, Yay, who we just heard. John. Thank Dr. You. John Clark from Baldwin, New York. He also happens to be the medical director of the Long Island Railroad. I actually didn't know that they had a medical director, but that's... Isn't that a Monopoly on. board or something? No, it could be. I'm probably going to be taking it in about a week, so I'm interested. The best part, sanitize ya, I advise ya. I think that was the best rhyme I've ever heard. I think, created. I, I think this is the best thing we've ever had on the show, and I would like to invite Dr. Clark to, to create music for the show from now on. He can, he can create our, our, our logo. and our, our He should music. definitely cap off this show. Absolutely. That's my, that's my belief. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we, could, we can have, like, different versions of it with Frankie Valli and Lawrence Welk and, and stuff like that. So, all right, well, that wraps it up for us. We've got reform bills to go in voice. <laughs> this has been Second Opinion Live. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And for more about ReachMD on XM160, visit our website at ReachMD.com. Feel free to give us a shout on Twitter, online, and on Facebook. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg. Thank you for joining us on ReachMD. And remember, once again, the requirements pursuant to the amendments made by subsections A and B shall apply in the case of physicians yes. making certifications for home health services under Title 19 or 21 of the Social Security Act in the same manner and to the same extent as such requirements apply Go on. in the case of physicians making such certifications under Title 18 of yes. such act. Oh, my God. Take that home and read it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us.